0: 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 12, says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And on our unpresentable parts, they're treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, All rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Okay, so there's a lot in there. And there's a lot of words that essentially give us a few very simple points. And so if I could just start off with probably the most obvious point in here is that all of us who are in the body of Christ, we all need to be careful with how we manage comparison. We can't look at what we do and then compare that to what someone else does and then allow that comparison to make us feel differently about ourselves or even differently about someone else. Rather, we should embrace what it is that we are called to do, the part of the body that God chose us to perform, and we should celebrate the other parts of the body because what we're celebrating is the choice of God. What we are celebrating is what God is doing and how God is moving. Now, I don't know how you are about comparison. There are some spots in my life I do very good at. I like don't care. There are other parts in my life that um, I actually don't do very good at all. And so sometimes when somebody talks to me about comparison, I can immediately just sort of retreat to the part where I do really good. Oh yeah, yeah, I have no problems at all. Because I don't want to acknowledge those places where I might have a comparison issue and get frustrated by it, like this Today it's Sunday. It's Playoff Sunday. Um, I figured I would just go ahead and do this early. I I have not a team to cheer for anymore for the rest of this season. Like my my team is out. Um, am I bitter? Am I upset? That in the last 20 years, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have won two Super Bowls and the Dallas Cowboys have won zero like none. Am I upset about that? Am I upset that the Dallas Cowboys haven't won a Super Bowl since I was in high school? No, I'm not upset about that at all. I'm not upset that I keep buying jersey after jersey after jersey and for nothing. That I just keep elevated higher and higher and higher, hopeful of what might happen in a given season, only to be let down in the playoffs. Am I upset about that? And so if we're talking about football, that could be fun. But when we're talking about our own lives or our own work, now that's not so fun. Like, like take, take last year. Last year, we had a record year at Family Worship Center. If there was a metric to be measured and a number to be placed in a box, it was higher than the year before. We had a fantastic year. Now, the thing is, I remember Easter. We had an unbelievable Easter. And um, we were, like, super happy with how we did compared to how we did last year. What that means is you guys did a very good job of inviting people to church. You guys did a very good job of getting people in the house, celebrating Jesus like it was an awesome day of gathering, an awesome day of celebration. I left that day like I couldn't have been higher. I could not have been higher. And then I started talking to some of my friends and I even felt a whole lot better. And then dad was talking to me about some of his friends and I still felt better. Like there are a lot of really good churches doing a lot of really good things. We have great churches in our community. We have great churches in our state. We have great like we need churches. I don't know if you guys realize this, but like there are there's not enough seats. There are not enough seats in this place to bring the entire city of Lakeland to worship Jesus on Sunday. That means it takes every church in our community doing their best with us doing our best so that we can reach our community for the kingdom of God. Absolutely. Um, And so I was happy, but then I heard somebody that had a better Easter than we had. One of my dad's friends. And I was happy for two days until I heard about their Sunday. Now here's the thing. They're not even in the same city. Like, why was I bothered suddenly? Was I disappointed in what we did? I was happy for two days. Nothing changed about what I did. Nothing changed about what you did. Nothing changed. The only thing that changed is I heard a number from someone else. And at the moment I heard that number... Suddenly, I felt less about what we were doing. Now, here is why comparison can be absolutely devastating. Because when you see someone else do what they do, and it receives a certain honor, and you do what you do, and it might seem like lesser honor, then you will want to retreat from what you are called to do look at what they are called to do, and suddenly you will want to fulfill their role instead of your role. And so from the kingdom's perspective, it's not just a few Christians sitting around being mopey. I mean, that's annoying, but let's be honest, we eventually get over it. The real problem is that we stop doing the thing that we were called to do. We retreat from the giftedness that we have and suddenly there is a member of the body not fulfilling its role because another member might have received greater honor. And so when we think about comparison, it makes sense that the Apostle Paul by the inspiration of the Spirit is actually using the illustration of the body because this is a space where all of us understand what comparison looks like. You may not always, some people are single, you don't have kids, you may not understand a parent comparing their kids to someone else's kids. You may not be married, you may not understand somebody comparing their relationship with someone else's relationship, but you might understand comparing you not having a relationship with someone else who has one. There are people who are called to singleness, I wasn't. There are people who were called to marriage. I was. I don't look at the single people who can just travel and go do whatever they want whenever they want because I don't have to clear it with anybody. I don't look at them and think, man, that'd be nice. I mean, that dude can just go wherever he wants to go this weekend, and there's no one to say anything about it. Right? Right? Like, we, we have to be very careful. So he brings the illustration back to the body. So let's do this. Let's talk about the body for a minute. Now, uh, there will be parts of this that will be slightly uncomfortable. For those parts, understand, I always keep it rated G, always. We might hit PG today. But that's why all the middle schoolers are out of the room. Um, So let's just kind of start from the top and work our way through. And then we're going to end on something very spiritual. And you're going to look at that and think, how in the world did we go from there to there? Yet we did. So this will be fun. Let's do this. Uh, Genesis chapter 5 and verse 1. It says, when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them. And he named them man when they were created. So what we have to embrace from the beginning is that God created man. That word is human. He created humankind. And then he made them male And female. So there is an equality in male and female because male and female are both humankind. There isn't a female who's not humankind and a male who's not humankind. We are all humankind. That means there is an equality in that. We're also created in the likeness of God. What about us is created in the likeness of God? Because if I look at a female that's different than me and I look at me that's different than her and then I say, okay, God is created in her likeness. Well, that means he's not created in my likeness. Or if she looks at me and says he was created in the likeness of God, that means I was not created in the likeness of God. But that's not what it says. It says that he created them, male and female, that he blessed them, and he called them man, and man was created in the likeness of God. So I have to embrace there is something about you, a female, or you, a male, that is just the same made in the image and in the likeness of God. So now we go back to last week. We talk about spirit, soul, and body. I have to embrace that it is the spirit of people. Is the spirit of man, the spirit of a female, of a woman. The spirit is created in the likeness of God. But the body is different. There are differences between us, and those differences are created for different. Purposes And according to the particular gender that you might have, God gifted you and he called you. Please understand, God will never call you to a role that is not what your body has. He, he will not do that. If he called you to this role, then your body will support that role. If he called you to this role, then your body will support that role. And so when we get the very basic, like these are first principles. When we get these mixed up, if I can't even understand what my role is as a man, I will never understand what my role is as a child of God. Why? Because the most basic part of me I don't get. If I make comparisons between my body and someone else's body, then what I will absolutely do is project that onto my calling in the body of God. As a member, I will compare what I do with what they do, rather just being comfortable with who I am, with who I was created to be, embracing that role and fulfilling it. So when we look at it and we say, okay, we are all equal We are all created in the image of God, but now we do have to embrace the differences because if I don't embrace the difference, I can't embrace my role because roles are different. Roles shift. Different members have different purposes. And so as I begin to see this, now I have to say, okay, well, if I'm created in the likeness of God, And if God gave me what God gave me, then I need to actually be okay with that. I need to nurture who I am. I need to take care of who I am. We see this in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 29. It says, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the body. So Jesus nourishes and cherishes every member of the body. Therefore, we are called to nourish and cherish every part of our body. We take care of ourselves. There's nothing wrong with self-care. There's kind of this, this modern movement of self-care, and everybody's like really concerned with health and well-being. And you know what? Jesus is concerned with health and well-being. That's one of the reasons why he took stripes on his back, so that you could be healthy. So God's not against you being healthy. The Apostle Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 27. He said, I discipline my body. And I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Now, in one measure, he's talking about just discipline in general. But in another measure, he's talking about um, an area of the body that the Corinthians were very out of control on. And we backed up a little to chapter 6. We begin to see some of this. He says in chapter 6, verse 18, still in 1 Corinthians, flee. From sexual immorality. For every other sin that a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person commits sin against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? So the body that we all see. We're, we are not talking about your spirit right now. We're not talking about your soul. We are talking about your body, the part that we, you see, I see, us. That is the part that is literally a temple of the Holy Spirit. It is a physical building in which the Holy Spirit fills, which he says you have from God. So God has given us the Holy Spirit. Where is the spirit within the body? We're filled with him. He says, so glorify God in your body. This is a space that, quite frankly, humanity is getting wrong more today than it has ever gotten wrong. And what we're not willing to embrace is our, our the way we hold the body in our, in our mindedness is actually collapsing society. It's collapsing. And... If we go all the way back, like, let's take it, I mean, we know the modern issues, which I'll get to those, but let's go before that. Let's go before all the modern issues were a problem. Let's, let's go back here. When we actually started having friction within family, we started rejecting God's commands, God's orders for the family. God gave order. He gave roles to the husband. He gave order. He gave roles to the wife. Those roles are not based on someone being smarter than the next person, someone being more talented than the next person. What he said was he created the male first and then the female, and so he gave the male leadership. So in the household, what is the determinant of leadership in the house? Solely based on one thing, that he's a male. Now, if I don't like that, I'm actually arguing with the gospel. And you can say, well, that's not fair. That's exactly what he's talking about in the way that we treat the members of the body. Like any member in the body of Christ, if they have a role that seems to be better than my role, and I look at that and say, I don't think that's fair. Like God chose to give them a role that's better than mine. He's saying that is a problem. The problem in the body actually stems all the way back to the family. This is why he's talking about the body itself. And we look at that like, yeah, 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 I know, but. There are no buts. The, The command, the order of the household was determined by gender. We can argue, we can fuss, we can complain. The gospel made, God made the determination. And here's the thing. If you are a female desiring to get married, here's what I promise you. God did not gift you with the capacity to lead your household. He didn't do it. If you are a man with a call to be married, God gifted you with the capacity to lead your household. As a man, I don't have to ask for the gift of helps. I don't even even have to ask for it. Because that isn't how I know he gifted me. Because if he called me to be a husband, then he gifted me with a gift of leadership for the household. Now that leadership, let me just say this. Let's go back to the equality part before you throw me off the stage. That doesn't extend outside of the household. There are many women who are gifted leaders in commerce. Like they they lead stuff. Let's not take, and there's godly leaders that are women in the gospel, godly leaders in our community who are women. We have a lot of godly women are called to lead. But let me tell you where the boundary of that leadership stops. When you go home. when You're like, yeah, but I'm so gifted here. Absolutely. But these are spiritual gifts. And spiritual gifts have boundaries. And when you come home, now you're called to help your husband, and he's called to lead you. What is that based on? Gender. Per whose choice? His. And there's nothing else to do about it. And so I just have to be okay with that. Okay, so we, we as a society decided to push hard against this. And we started talking egalitarian. We started talking about, no, we can do this, do that, do this, do this. And now we got this all confused and then we step into the sort of these sexual revolutions where now there are no, ba- first of all, there's no boundaries to roles, and now there are no boundaries to what I can or can't have. Now we can swap around. Now we can look at people that we shouldn't be looking at. Oh, but I didn't touch anybody. <laughs> what was it Jesus said? I think he said, if you even lust in your heart, you've committed adultery in your mind. So the, the, we, can't, we can't come to a place where we're willing to look at things to satisfy parts of the body and feel like that's okay. What did he say? Flee from sexual immorality. There's a lot of, like, I don't, I don't know, I'm one of these, I don't go to the mall much. Like about once a year, I show up at the mall. And I'm just telling you, for somebody that lives like, I live the life of a monk, practically. I really do. Like, honestly, it's, it's, it just is what it is. But I go to the mall, and I can't... Like, the display's in the windows. But the thing is, if you're in the mall every week... And by the way, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the mall. I'm saying I don't go to the mall because I hate the mall. Not because I'm moral. I just hate the mall. But the thing is, because I hate the mall, I don't see the displays. Um, Because I'm not on social media. I don't see the the stuff that everybody talks to me about seeing. Um, There's just... There's a lot that we... Christians have grown comfortable looking at which is distracting us and it's causing us to be comfortable with levels of immorality that we haven't always been comfortable with and the gospel command isn't you know just kind of flirt with it just don't go this far the word used is flee like flee that means go in the other direction So maybe all of us need to have a little bit of monk-like behavior on our social streams. Maybe we all need to have a little bit more willingness to look at the ground when I'm walking past some kind of a stupid display at the mall. Maybe I need to be willing to look in another direction when I'm working out and there's all kinds of stuff going on over here that can be seen. Maybe I need to be conscious of the command for my body to flee things. Like that's the command, and it started here, and it continues here, and then it like just keeps going. And by the way, let me just say, let me, let me back up if I could, uh, there are things that we do in taking care of the body that uh, we're commanded to do, and they just force us to be careful that we don't take things too far. For instance, for instance, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8 says, while bodily training is of some value... Godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for this present life and also for the life to come. So bodily training, it's a good thing. I think, I actually think every single one of us should be in the best shape we can possibly be in. I think we should eat good. I think we should exercise. I think we should take care of ourselves. God designed us, told us, nourish yourself, cherish yourself. I think we should do that. I don't think we have to be ridiculous about it, but I I think we should take care of ourselves for sure. But here's what's more important than taking care of yourself, godliness. What I don't think we should do is spend all of our time taking care of our body and neglecting our heart. I don't think that we should spend all of our time in a gym or all of our time studying on what to eat or all of our time in the kitchen rather than some of our time in prayer, some of our time in the word, some of our time gathering together. I believe we should take care of all of our our entire, all of us, spirit, soul and body. But this word godliness, it actually matters. And there is a creeping ungodliness into the church. And, it's not, and I'm not saying, like, we're, we're starting to, like, dress crazy. That's not what I mean at all. I, I, I don't, that's, you know, that's a whole nother conversation. Um, but I'll say this. In our mindedness, the church, not, not just Family Worship Center, the church, um, we're getting pretty comfortable with where morality is headed. And it's not headed to a good place. And it hasn't been headed to a good place. And what happened was when we started, make the church, when we started making a mockery of marriage because we didn't embrace roles anymore, we opened the door for the world to run with it. And they're the ones that might have made a greater mockery of the family, but we're the ones who let it go. And so now we've made it all the way over here where when we talk about the role of family, like that's, those are that, that feels like an ancient conversation because we let it go so long ago. But now we've come to a place where LG became LGB, became LGBT, became LGBTQ. Now we threw a plus on the end of it. It doesn't just start at an L or a G or a B or a T or a Q. Now we threw a plus. And when we talk like this, now everybody who's 35 or under gets really uncomfortable because it's like, well, well but that's not nice to say. Okay, let me say this. This is why we said this. All these things are links in a chain. If you remember them, they connect together quite nicely. This is why we said last week, when you start talking about somebody who who does acts of mercy or compassion, let me just say the boundary of compassion is holiness. It always has been. when, When you show compassion to somebody, the boundary of your enabling stops at sin. So I help someone help themselves, but I will not help someone go to hell. I don't want to be someone who has conversations that help people all the way to here. And then they say, yeah, but I feel" And I'm like, oh, well, I understand. No, 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 no. There, ha- there has to be a line in the sand. There has to be a, no, no, we're not gonna cross that line because that particular line will destroy you. Second Peter chapter two and verse 14. He said, their eyes are full of immorality. They keep on sinning, they are accursed children. Now, when you start talking about today's conversation of orientation and gender, I'm going to, say, I'm going to use the word confusion. When we, when we talk about that, there is a, for whatever reason, there's a desire to like um, embrace immorality. Let's go back to 1996. We'll back up a little. Um, This is one of my first presidential elections. Um, President Bill Clinton was the president of the United States, and he signed into law the Defense of Marriage Act. Now, the Defense of Marriage Act simply defined at a federal level that marriage was only marriage if there was a husband and a wife. Now, some of you that were born in 2000 and later, you're like, there was a law that said that? Yes, and that law wasn't that long ago. And the the thing is, since then we've had politicians who are Democrats, we've had politicians who are Republicans, um, and we've had we've seen massive changes in morality, regardless of what was done at a federal level. We have seen massive changes in morality, regardless of what was done from a political perspective. But so I can't tie morality to a political line. But here's what I can do. There has been a decrease in the effectiveness of the local church from that time to now. And as the church has suffered, morality has suffered. So there's a one-to-one correlation between immorality increasing and people gathering in church decreasing. Just understand that. As we become less Christian, we become more immoral. The answer is not for the church to embrace immorality. That's the very thing, that's one of the things that we are an answer for. Here's why. Because immorality kills people. Like, let's just, let's just look at the numbers for a minute. We said, okay, we're, we're going to say gay marriage is okay. It's going to be fine for people to do that. Uh, now we have years of data. We can look at this, 66% of gay marriages between a woman and a woman. And those marriages are twice as likely to end in divorce as a heterosexual couple. Why? I mean, like, we're getting marriage wrong over here and it's hurting. This over here is twice as bad as that. Why? Because it was cursed from the beginning. At least marriage between a male and a female is blessed by God. Now, we can get it wrong, but this from the beginning has been cursed. So if this has been cursed, then what happens? It'll never work. Be as compassionate as you want to be. You're not going to help anybody. It's not going to work. It does not work. It can't work. It'll never work. And so if I actually care about somebody, I'm going to, if, they're, if, they're, if I have a heterosexual couple that comes in and they're like, hey, we need some help. You know where we're going to start? Um, who's the godly leader of your household? If that husband is a slacker, then I'm going to tell him, you need to get in your word. You need to get on your knees. You need to lead your house spiritually. Like, that's the first thing that you can do. We'll start there. If a little gal comes in with a little gal and they say, our marriage is a mess, I'm saying, ah, that's because you shouldn't even be married. And there's no helping. We can't, we can't go past that. Like, there's, there's, no, there's nowhere to go. Sean, that's not compassionate. You have no idea how compassionate that is. You have no idea how compassionate that is. And so when we look at the body, we have seen the church. We, get, we just get a lot of stuff wrong these days. And we have to be willing to say, you know what? We're wrong about this. We're going to quit flirting with this. We're going to quit thinking this is okay. Immorality of every shade of every stripe is wrong, and we're going to just flee from it. And we're not going to act like it's maybe okay in the front room when I'm talking to you. I get tired. I get, I, well. Okay, soapbox, soapbox. Can we have a soapbox for a minute? I get tired sometimes of church leaders acting like they embrace something, then they go in the back closet and they say, oh, isn't that ridiculous? We don't believe that at all. Then stop acting like you believe it from the pulpit. Like, and and here's the thing. If we keep supporting people like that, it just keeps growing and keeps deceiving the church. So we have to figure out how to swipe it off of our feeds. We have to figure out how to stop listening to it. We have to figure out how we can stop supporting these ideas so that people who are standing for the truth, they start showing up on your newsfeed. Because when truth starts showing up on your newsfeed, you'll start believing the things you should believe. Your life will be infinitely better. And those persons who are speaking a deceptive gospel, a false gospel, an antichrist gospel, they'll just go off by the wayside. But we, we have to be willing to support truth and reject fables. Okay, so now let's kind of take that and push it back into like the church. It's no different with us. We, when we see people who are doing well in their giftedness, let us support them. When you see somebody in the church who's going like on, they're going crazy over here. And it's, it's wrong. You know what? James says, you who go find that person and bring them back, save that sinner from death. Don't look at me and say, well, I didn't know if I had a right to say something. If you have a relationship, go help somebody. If you have a, you, you in the body, if, you're, if your body, if you have a cut somewhere, do you clean it out? Do you put a bandage on it? Do you try and help it? You don't tear your leg off because you scraped your knee. Don't run them out. Help clean them up and bring them back in. There has to be compassion in how we bring people into the house of God. Let me just tell this one story and then I'll, I'll keep moving. Uh, yesterday, I was getting a hot dog and um, place in Tampa, Mills Hot Dogs. I love the be- best hot dogs on the planet. Um, I don't know. I, I talk about health and I talk about eating hot dogs. I don't know if they're good for you. <laughs> but everybody has a cheat moment, right? Any, anyhow... Um, there was a young man who was taking my order and um, he was clearly confused. Um, He was a boy or a man and he was trying, clearly trying to be a woman. And, um, you know, there's that part of you sometimes is like, and, you know, I think we have to do better than that. Like, It was a spiritual moment. I stood at that counter and I looked at him and I like kind of broke inside because people have lied to him. His professors, his teachers, his politicians, I don't know about his parents, but I know a whole lot of people who've lied to him and have told him, you know what, you just be who you are, but that's not who he is. And you look and you say, yeah, but Sean, I'm going to, like, this isn't, it's not who I am. You're asking me to struggle my entire life to be somebody I'm not. No, 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 let me just tell you something. If you're a girl and it feels like a struggle to be a girl, that struggle's worth it. Because the struggle to be a boy isn't worth it. And you'll never be a boy and you'll struggle to be a boy. But in the process, you will sell your soul out on a destination for hell. So I'm just telling you, if you are going to struggle, struggle for a good purpose. Struggle to be the person that God has called you to be. Struggle to embrace who God created you to be. And I promise you, the struggle will lead to life. But if you ignore this struggle and embrace the world's struggle, it will lead to death every single time. And so we, we should have a compassion when we speak these words. We should have a desire to actually help people. And when we're inside the body, we should actually see people who are doing awesome in the body of Christ and say, that was amazing. Even if you didn't do so well that day, you might have been working at your door and it just wasn't there. Like you just, you stuttered when you told people hello. Somebody says whatever. You know, I, I, people do this all the time. I do this all the time. Somebody will say, Enjoy your Coke. And I'll say, Thanks, you too. But they don't have a Coke because they gave me the Coke. And it, like, you know, so you might be at a door and somebody says, and you say, and it's just confusing and it's a mess. And you're like, eh. or somebody goes in for a handshake. I'm a terrible handshake. Don't shake my hand. Just fist bump me. My handshakes are the worst. They're the worst. Like, I don't know. I don't even know how to shake a hand. It's like I go in too hard or too soft. And, you know, you'll meet somebody kind of big, a little bit strong, and you'll go in. And, but they didn't come in as far, so you pull back a bit. And then you get like a. I mean, it's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. And you might be working the door, and you got some terrible handshakes. And you're like, that was a terrible day. And you look over there, and this guy's just crushing it. Oh, hey, well, God bless you. have a great service. Like, I want to be like him. Like, you're going to have days that are just off. But rejoice with them when they're having a good day. Because they're going to mourn with you when you're having a bad day. And we need to encourage one another. Because here's what it says. We were all baptized into one body. One body. Here's the spiritual part. I love that he talks about you were baptized in the one body made to drink of one spirit. There is this idea, well, you know, the word, the spirit, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, and all we get is all kind of conflated and baptized. and, And did I receive or am I filled? Like, what are the words? What is the language? And here's the thing. When we have conversations about baptism and drinking of one spirit and being filled with the spirit, we will take the language and index it in such a way that makes it really easy to understand. But please understand, when you read your Bible, it doesn't do that. Because there isn't the comparison trap in the Word. There isn't the sense of, well, this group of people, they are full of the Word, and this group of people are full of the Spirit. There is the expectation, actually, of us to be full of all of it. There isn't the thought of, well, this group would be baptized, and this group would be filled, and this group... we're supposed to have all of it, like all of us have all of it. John chapter 19 and verse 14, Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Every single one of us have been given the Holy Spirit of God. Everyone. When you said yes to Jesus, you were filled with the Spirit of God. He sealed your spirit. He indwells your body. He fills your body. He sealed that spirit that said you are a child of God. All of the sudden, the Spirit of God who's in the Father and who's in the Son proceeding from the Father and the Son comes and fills you. What does that do? That puts you in Christ. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 26 says, in Christ, you are all sons of God through faith all of us all of us for we were all baptized into Christ and have put on Christ therefore there is neither Jew nor Greek there is neither slave nor free there is no male and female for we are all one in Christ Jesus now what does that mean that means spiritually speaking there isn't this sort of hierarchy. There isn't this sort of I have this and you have that. But in the body, there is a sense of I have this and I have that. But in the spirit, there is no there is no Jew, there is no Greek. Why? Because there isn't race in the spirit. There aren't these distinctions. There isn't male, there isn't female. Jesus said there is no marriage in heaven, but rather when we get to heaven, we're all gonna be like the angels. So there's this gendered life that we live, that we're called to live, which actually matters, but there's the shedding of the body and the receiving of a glorified body when we find ourselves there. Why? Because we're a part of one body. This is a spiritual truth that he's speaking to here. And so we recognize then that there is this filling of the Spirit of God. Now, what does that fully mean? Like, I drink of the Spirit, I'm baptized into Christ? Yes. Let's look at it here. Uh, Acts chapter 10 and verse 45. There was this moment where uh, Peter had gone to a Gentile's house, which he wasn't even allowed to do, by the way. Wasn't even allowed to be in their house. But he goes in their house and he's preaching the gospel. And here's what we see happened. It said, the gift... Of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking with tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Who would anyone keep water from baptizing these people who received the Spirit just as we did in the beginning? Then he ordered them to be baptized. In the name of Jesus. Now, the reason why we use this text is because I wanted you to see the order. While Peter was preaching, they believed in their heart what he was saying. There was the salvation of the soul, there was the salvation of the, the spirit of man. He was they were saved in that moment. Why? Because they believed. There was the belief in the confession. There is a belief, confession. Now what? Now I am saved. But then there is this subsequent moment where it says they were all filled with the Spirit of God, they received the gift of of the Spirit of God. How did they know that? Because they were all speaking with tongues. How do you know someone has been baptized with the Holy Spirit, or what we would call being filled with the Spirit? How do you know that it even happens? That they speak with tongues. They heard them speaking with tongues and extolling God. I love that they use the word extolling there and not just like praising because the word extol goes beyond just a praise. It talks about an enthusiastic praise. Like it's a praise that looks like our praise. Sometimes we're like, oh, you guys are just too emotional. We're not emotional enough. We are told to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, strength. Like everything that is within us, bless His holy name. There is something about us using all of us to praise Him. That is an extolling of God. And so they were extolling Him, but they weren't just extolling him, they were also speaking in tongues. Why were they speaking with tongues? Because they'd received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Wait a minute. I thought the gift of the Holy Spirit was salvation. It is. When you're saved, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. That's a gift. But, but then there's another gift. Oh, wait, 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 wait. I thought we had one gift. No, 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 there's grace, grace upon grace, gift upon grace. Like the language can get madly confusing. There's baptism in water. There's baptism into Christ. There's baptism with the Holy Spirit. Is it all baptism? Yes, but which baptism are we talking about? Keep reading. See, we're not here to say, oh, this is all the same. It's not all the same any more than the members of the body are all the same. There are experiences. You see, we could read the Bible all day long, and we could argue the Bible all day long, and debate the the Bible all day long, but there's something about an experience. There's something about an experience. They could have read the law and read the law and read the law and read the law. But when they saw a risen Jesus Christ walking before them, there was something about that experience that made a difference. They could have heard the promise, heard the promise, heard the promise. Go tarry in Jerusalem until you're all filled. And they could still be waiting in Jerusalem right now to be filled. But there was an experience that happened in that moment. What was that? They were made to drink of one spirit. So Let's take it back. Matthew chapter 3. In verse 11, I'm going a little fast now, sorry. I took too long on the top front, now I gotta get to the end. Matthew chapter three and verse 11, the uh, prophet John, greatest prophet that ever lived, Jesus said, he said, I baptized you with water for repentance, but one who is coming after me who is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not even worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, he was talking about water baptism, but he was also talking about a second baptism. What's fascinating about the Acts 10 reference that we talked about is that they were baptized in water after they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. That happened the same exact way in Acts chapter 2. It happened a completely different way in Acts chapter 8. Because in Acts chapter 8, Philip went down to a city called Samaria. And he preached the gospel there. And they believed the gospel there. And he cast out devils there. And he worked miracles there. They were saved and they were all baptized in water. But when he went back to Jerusalem, they said, hey, what, what went on? He said, oh, it was great. They received the word, but they did not receive the spirit. And so Peter and John went down to Samaria because they had only received the word. It said they had only been baptized in the name of Jesus. And so they laid their hands on them that they might be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because every single church that they established, they wanted to make sure that the gift of the Holy Spirit was upon every single believer. That it wasn't just existent in this church, so we had a charismatic church over here and a Baptist church over there. That was never the plan. That was never the intention. The intention always was for every single church to be saved and every single church to be baptized in. water and every single church be baptized with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. That's why you might hear this phrase initial evidence. What does that mean? That means the way that you know that someone has been baptized with the Holy Spirit is that they speak with tongues. How do I know that somebody has been filled with the Spirit at salvation? How do I know that they've been baptized into Christ? How? Because they will demonstrate fruit. They are saved unto good works. So when I get saved, my lifestyle will begin to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control against such there is no law. When I'm saved, my life demonstration is is the fruit that says I'm saved. If I'm baptized with the Holy Spirit, what's the evidence? Oh, that I speak with tongues. If I get baptized in water, what's the evidence? That I'm wet. That's how I know. For every single one of these baptisms, baptism into Christ, baptism in water, baptism in the Holy Spirit, there is evidence, there is an experience. And I need to embrace the experience. We see this in um, Acts chapter 1 and verse 4. While Jesus was staying with the disciples, he ordered them to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. Which he said, you heard from me, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now, When he gave his disciples this command in Acts 1, I want you to understand something that we saw back in John chapter 20. When Jesus had been raised from the dead and he stood before his disciples who were in a room, he looked at them and he, it said he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now that moment, that should wake us back to Genesis 1. When he formed man... And he breathed in him the breath of life and he became a living creature. Except a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So we see this born moment when we take breath into our bodies and we are born. Then Jesus demonstrates for them the born again moment. Said He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. They were born, now they were born again. Now a group of people who had been born again, he'd already paid the penalty for death. He'd already been raised from the dead. He'd already presented himself to the Father. Now he's standing in front of the disciples. He breathes on them the breath of life. They have experienced full salvation. They are filled with the Spirit of God, meaning they have the Spirit of God within them. And then later on he tells them, by the way, go wait in Jerusalem for the promise. There was a promise that was made. What was the promise? That you would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. We see this in Luke chapter 11 and verse 13. Jesus said it earlier. He, he predated this moment. He said, hey, you being evil who know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I don't know how your salvation experience was, but my salvation experience and any salvation experience in the word of God is not the asking for the Holy Spirit. It is, you do this, you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, that he was the son of God, that he paid the penalty for your sins. You believe that and then with your mouth you confess. What do you confess? Jesus is Lord. Anyone who believes in their heart, confesses with their mouth, will what? Will be saved. I didn't ask for the Holy Spirit. I said Jesus is Lord and he gave me the Holy Spirit. But then he says, if anybody asks for the Holy Spirit, will God not give him the Holy Spirit, those who ask? What is that? That is another experience. That is another moment. That is another baptism. At salvation, I'm baptized into Christ, but then there's a second moment where I can be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The evidence that I have been is that I would speak with tongues. That I I would... That I would I would actually do that. And the reason why this is important for us is because I hope you read the rest of 1 Corinthians 12. I don't know how you do Bible study once we preach on Sundays, but we just pull stuff out of a chapter. It's kind of good to go back and see the whole chapter. If you go back and read the whole chapter, what you will find is there is a gift. ...of speaking in tongues that is in 1 Corinthians 12. But then if you keep reading through chapter 13 into 14... ...what you'll find is he's going to talk about tongues again... ...but when he talks about it in chapter 14... ...it sounds a little different than chapter 12. Why? Why is there a difference? Because there are people who have a gift of tongues for the purpose of speaking out in front of a crowd in tongues, for the purpose of somebody who has a gift of interpretation to couple that gift with that gift so that the body is edified. If somebody just speaks in tongues in church and no one interprets, it doesn't do you any good. But when someone speaks in tongues in church and then someone interprets that who has that gift, now the church, the whole church, is edified. The gospel in 1 Corinthians 14 says that is actually equal to prophecy. So now we have the prophetic gift or the gift of prophecy in chapter 12. We also have the gift of tongues and interpretation in chapter 12. But then he goes on in chapter 14, he says, Oh, but by the way, I want you all to speak in tongues. Well, how can everybody speak in tongues according to chapter 14 if at the end of chapter 12 he said, Not everybody's going to speak in tongues? Oh, that's because he's talking about a different gift. This gift, this gift, this baptism, this baptism. The words are always intermingled and interchanged, but you have to read a little further to understand fully what does it mean. So now I have to embrace this reality that when someone speaks in tongues, in the body, and someone interprets it, two things are going on. One, it is interpreted so that I am edified, I'm built up, but two, I hear what tongues sounds like and there begins to be something in me that wakes up a desire that I might want to do what they do, not what they do as a gift in front of the body, but rather that I might have a language for the purpose of prayer and praise that elevates my prayer life, that elevates my praise life, because this is what is in 1 Corinthians 14 about those who speak in tongues it says you give thanks well I don't know how your life is but there are times I had this the other day I was just sitting there I was looking at my kids looking at my wife at dinner I walked off to go to the bathroom and I just sat on the toilet and prayed in tongues <laughs> why? because I was just so thankful I didn't like Yeah, I don't know how you are sometimes just say oh thanks Jesus I mean that's cool But I I felt more than that. When you feel more than that, I don't want the limitation of my words. I want to be able to be filled with his words that I might glorify him in a greater way. I don't know how your prayer life is, but there are moments where I don't know what to pray for. I I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. And so when I get on my knees and I'm in that place, he empowers me to pray further than I could pray on my own. What inspired me to want that language? That somebody stood in front of people and spoke in tongues. Now, if they just spoke in tongues and didn't interpret, that didn't do anybody good, but it was fascinating that it was interpreted, which did a few things. It it gave me the, the blessing of the moment, but it woke up a desire. And so in this house, when there are spiritual moments... I just pray that it wakes up desire in you, that when you see other gifts, rather than looking at that gift and getting frustrated and saying, I don't have that, celebrate, rejoice, and allow the usefulness of their gift to inspire a desire in you to use yours. I hope, I hope that when you see this team up here worshiping Jesus and playing every single Sunday morning that you don't just look at them and think, oh, that must be nice get to stand up here on a platform. It's actually exhausting to stand up on a platform, to be honest with you. But I hope you don't just look at that and just think, oh, you know, that's cool, but Mike, no, 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 allow whatever you see that is presentable, allow that to inspire you to do, even if what you do is unseen, because here's what I promise you. The one who gifted you is the one who will bless you when you use your gift. I I promise you, I promise you that in your household, if you submit to the call of the gospel, God will bless you. If in your life you flee from that which God tells you to flee from, God will bless you. If you use your giftedness the way God has called you to use it, God will bless you. If on your knees before God you say, Jesus... Fill me with your Holy Spirit, that I might speak with other tongues. I promise you, he will fill you. And if you don't receive it on your own, like they did at Cornelius' house, or like they did in the upper room, then you go find somebody. We always have somebody down here in church, after church. You go find somebody and say, would you just pray for me? I want that. We see the laying on of hands in Acts 9, we see it again in Acts 19, but in Acts 2 and 8, we see it a different, or 2 and 10, we see it a different way. And so I just, um, I just encourage you today to be willing to embrace the fullness of the gospel and therefore the fullness of all he, by his choice, created you to do